The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Marked Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question? Do numbers go that high? I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte. And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And you're now listening to Marked Medicine. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on this episode of Marked Medicine Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Brulte, and I'm here today with my wife, Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And we are lucky to have two guests today, and we'll be talking about a fascinating topic, um, dyslexia. And I would like to introduce our guest. First is Miss Julie Brooke Lewis, and more importantly, her daughter, Rihanna. So, Guys, let's just jump right into it. Tell us what today is about and what's been going on and how did we get here? Hello, everyone. My name is Serena Lewis. I'm in the 11th grade and I have dyslexia. Um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia in the first grade and ever since then I've been trying to advocate for those with dyslexia. And, and Julie Brooke, tell us a little bit, bit more of the background. Sure. Um, thank y'all so much for having us. When Rihanna was in pre-K, we noticed that she wasn't reading or, or writing her name as well as, as we anticipated she would. And, and we really weren't sure if it was something she would outgrow or if it was something that would just correct itself. But but it was something that we, we kept watching and she was a really high achieving child. And so she kind of struggled through kindergarten, but still, you know, managed to accumulate accelerated reader points and make good grades and and do okay. But when she got to first grade, I think that maybe the kids were actually having to read the questions on tests and write down answers. and, And we realized that there was some type of problem, a disconnect between what she was able to say and what she was able to put onto the paper, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It wasn't matching up with the ability that you knew that she had. Exactly. And so when this happened, uh, as a parent, you're obviously a little confused and lost and don't know where to turn to and everything. Uh, where did y'all's journey begin with unraveling this mystery? Well, I think probably like every other mother on the planet, at first I went to the internet and I just thought I could Google what was happening and we would fix it. So the first thing I did was I found like a $99 computer program that was going to, you know, teach reading, cure Rihanna, and we were going to just all be happy readers. And do you remember that, Rihanna? That was awful. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't a quick fix. I, I think... Go ahead. Sorry. We would sit at that computer for hours and just cry because I can remember like being so upset and frustrated because I still didn't know how to read. And hours had gone by and we'd be on this computer program. What was the program like? Do I don't remember? really remember. I just remember it, it would like flash up words and then you had to say it into like the microphone. And it was just very frustrating constantly getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. 
It was definitely very frustrating. And I, I think finally after a few weeks of that, we realized that that wasn't the the right course. So um, I read a book, Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz, and was really intrigued by the, the research that she had done and the neural pathways in the brain that needed to be like opened. And I assumed this was something we were going to have to find somebody that could help us do that in order to get her treatment. And so we found a specialist in Atlanta with Children's Dyslexia Center of Georgia, and she was able to work with Rihanna and to just kind of bridge the gap so that she would be able to read, I mean, on and above grade level from, from the first time we went to Jill Ham, that, that was, she's the lady. Um, from the first time we went there, we could just see a, a, a remarkable difference. If I may, if I may take us back just a few steps or whatever, how did you finally come to the realization that we may be dealing with dyslexia? Or how did y'all come to that? We have a family history of dyslexia and really intelligent people in our families, my husband and my husband's family, that have dyslexia. So it, I wasn't surprised or, or taken off guard. I, I just, I was maybe a little bit surprised with how verbal Rihanna was and then not understanding like, you know, why like kindergarten wasn't working basically. But I think that probably because of the family history, I was not not unaware that that could happen, if that makes sense. Well, now I'm glad you brought up that she was super verbal because the doctor that you were talking about, Dr. Sally Shaywitz, you know, you brought her book today, thank you. And I was looking over it. And one thing that's striking to me is on the back of her book, you know, it says one in five American children have trouble with reading. That's a lot. And then also, you know, she says the first clue to dyslexia may be a delay in speaking, but... She also says, then again, some dyslexic children may not demonstrate a speech delay at all. And so I think that's super important to point out because as healthcare providers, you know, the old teacher may be, oh, these kids, you know, you have a child that's super verbal, so you don't start thinking about dyslexia as being a potential, you know, it, um, a potential reason for what they're struggling with, but we kind of want to bring awareness to that. that that's not always the case, basically. Absolutely. I think there were stereotypes of, of mostly boys having dyslexia. I mean, there, there are so many probably stereotypes and stigmas. And I, I think that's a lot of what Rihanna's trying to, to do and to overcome. And just to, I mean, if you're able to get help early, dyslexia is a gift. But And there, there are so many things that so many famous people have dyslexia. But if you're not able to get help early, dyslexia is a horrible obstacle. I mean, it's not a not a gift if you're sitting in third or fourth grade and you're not able to read and understand what's going that's on. That's right. That's right. Um, Rihanna, do you feel like sharing with us some of the obstacles that you had to overcome in order to get to where you are today? Um, yes, ma'am. I can still remember being in like pre-K, first grade, and it was the day we all had to like write out our name and. Everyone else in my class knew how to write their name, and I was just so confused because I didn't even know, like, the letters that were in my name, the order. I remember I got in an argument with my mom about how my name was spelled um, for a pretty long time because everyone else spelled it wrong, so I thought I was spelling it right. 
<laughs> so tell us about that so that people listen and, you know, somebody may listen and be like, my child does the same thing. So can you explain that a little bit? So were, did you actually think it was spelled differently than it actually is? Yes, sir. Um, and I also remember kids in older grades being able to read and getting very upset and frustrated whenever my little sister, she could read before I could. And I remember coming home and she would be reading b- books to my little brother and I was a year older than her and I still didn't know how to read. Do you, do you remember, like, can you explain to us when you say, you know, I just couldn't read? I mean, when you looked at the paper, you know, a lot of people think of dyslexia as being, oh, well, the letters reverse. Do you think that that is true? Do you think that's an accurate representation of what dyslexia is? I don't think so. I think it's like you see the letter, but the letter means nothing to you. Like in your brain, like the letter has no meaning. You do not know the sound of the letter and putting the letters together like makes no sense in your brain. You just see a bunch of like symbols. And I've I've listened to this and y'all have made several important points. I always write some notes before these podcasts to make sure I get all the questions in. And And one thing you said about the family members. So I'd like to talk about the the causation of of dyslexia and the other thing the the comment earlier on where you said about the reading program you got her and I'm certainly not a dyslexia expert or a psychologist or a psychiatrist that, that deals in this but I can't imagine a more imperfect way to teach a dyslexic to read than that program <laughs> no there was no way for you to know that but but it basically sounds like a flashcard system where it flashes. Um, what Rihanna just described as a meaningless thing up into her eyes that her brain is then supposed to turn into a word and that visual input never gets to her language center is, is basically from my reading how this works in her brain. And so it's, it kind of ties into somebody said dyslexia is a gift. I can't remember who said that. And it, it is a gift, Rihanna, because the right side of your, basically dyslexics are right brain thinkers and the right side of your brain is much more functional than the right side of my brain, okay? Um, and Amanda will confirm that if you if you need proof. <laughs> but but you're you're able to use imagination and visual processing of large amounts of data and get the big picture in mind and then work down to the specifics and details of any situation as opposed to a purely verbal learner like myself that I have to start out with the details and build to the big picture. And it takes me a long time to analyze the situation and get to the big picture and the overview and the logic. You get that instantaneously and you can handle large amounts of data simultaneously. You're, you're, you can multitask. I, I can barely do one thing, much less a bunch of things. And so, and you have this incredible ability to rapidly process information because of the way your right brain works and it's predominant in its predominance in your thinking. So it's, it's actually, it's, it's actually a fascinating, fascinating thing. And it, it, it is in many ways a gift. I mean, and, and then you were talking about the famous people and I'd like to talk about that later on, but let's go back to causation. And I've done a little bit of reading and I know y'all probably know much more about it than me, but it's dyslexia is probably a, con, a genetic situation and it's a congenital neurodevelopmental abnormality of the left side of the brain, particularly involving the language and speech centers. Um, and oftentimes people are described with dyslexia as right brain thinkers like we just discussed. Um, until recently, there was no really specific set of genes or single gene that 
that was causative, and I don't know that they've really identified it, but they have identified several genes now. The They're called DYX1 through 9. I guess that stands for dyslexia 1 through 9, but I don't know that they've actually nailed it down as to the combinations that cause it. But uh, So that's what we're talking about, congenital or developmental dyslexia. There's also acquired dyslexia where somebody has a stroke or a brain injury, and they can develop dyslexia later in life. So there's just a lot to talk about here. Um, and so um, I'd like to go back to uh, the family. Uh, these these are her blood relatives, I'm, I'm assuming yes, you're talking yes. about. And so I think that that bears out the genetic um, situation that, now, that I've been reading about. Were they diagnosed with dyslexia or you just noticed some commonalities? Um one is and one isn't. And I, I mean, it, it probably even goes as far as like, you know, one of the signs is an unusual handwriting grip. And it took me like I have the weirdest handwriting grip you've ever seen. And it took me I, I never really established a dominant hand. And, and that's a like a, a warning sign to look out for. But, but at the same time, that's one of those things that it's a double edged sword because I mean, I guess it's a problem if you don't know which hand to write with in school or if you don't know which way is right or left. But when you're playing a sport, it's wonderful if you can use either hand. So there there were several. Um, my brother and I both probably exhibited several signs, but were never officially diagnosed. And then my husband had a family member that was diagnosed. So, Right. And um, talking about um, um, your past, Rihanna, that was very early on and now, and I know y'all undertook investigations and corrective actions to try and help you learn to read. It, it, tell me about starting to learn to read. How did that kind of click with you one day? What happened? If you, if there was a something that happened. Um, I remember after the first time I went to go see Miss Jill in Atlanta, I had to write the alphabet and I couldn't do that. I could only, like, write down nine letters, not in order. So one of the first homework assignments I guess she had me do was to make all the letters out of Play-Doh. And I feel like that was something, I guess, just, like, having a concept of, like, what the letters look like and, like, how they would be if they were 3D and, like, me having to actually form the letters. Like, I kind of understood, like, I would make the letter and I would feel it and then I would make the sound with it. And I feel like that was one of the first times I really understood the meanings of the letters and the sounds associated with them. And so it kind of went around the areas of your, of your brain that did not connect just from visual input to your language centers. Well, now all of a sudden you have this three-dimensional input and the tactile input of feeling the Play-Doh and everything. And so, aha! Look, my brain Something works. Clicked. Now all this stuff is in my language center. I think so, definitely. Something definitely, like, that made something click in my brain to the point where now I can, I could start to put the letters together and make sounds. And so once you did that and you made the three-dimensional letters and you could feel them and everything, next time you looked at the letters, did it make it to the language center? You go, oh, that's H or that's J or whatever. I think the first time I did it, I wasn't, like, completely sure in all the letters, but I definitely started to get a better understanding of the letters. 
Well, that's pretty neat that, that somebody is that expert in this and is able to help kids like that. So what did you think as a mom watching this? I, it was amazing. I, I think I just cried the whole way through. And I, I don't think she's given herself enough credit. I mean, I honestly think from that first time of making the letters in the alphabet, I don't think she ever, I think they did half the alphabet. Basically, it wasn't in order, but it was, I don't know the theory behind which letters they were doing, but I don't think she ever got confused over those letters. And then we went back like a few weeks later and she did the other letters. And after that, she just all of a sudden knew the letters. And it was, it was amazing. You know, one of my children had a speech impediment and could not say her R's for the longest time. And I remember, I still remember to this day, the very first time that I picked her up from, um, speech therapy and she said newspaper and it just like it just finally clicked with her and we called and you know she said that word for everybody that we knew but I remember that that yes overwhelming (laughs) feeling I don't know what finally clicked I mean similar but different but I do remember that feeling of triumph for the whole family you know and you know again I'm going back to Dr. Shaywitz's book you know and she says the greatest stumbling block preventing a dyslexic child from realizing his or her potential and following his or her dreams is the widespread ignorance about the true nature of dyslexia. And can y'all speak on that? Have, did y'all experience any of that at all? Do you feel, you know, cause I feel like dyslexia is not something that a lot of people know about. It's still, it's, although it's not new, it's kind of relatively new that I think society is beginning to talk about it and school systems are beginning to look for ways to screen children and implement strategies to help them learn to make the connections just like you're, you were able to do. So do you feel like you, you know, experienced any situations where maybe ignorance, you know, played a part and slowing your success down? I feel like um, our school system really wasn't aware not not that people didn't know what dyslexia was, but that teachers don't really know how to help students who have dyslexia just because they haven't had the training to help dyslexic students. So it's kind of hard to blame someone if they aren't taught how to help the children. That's right. And so that and that's exactly why we wanted to have y'all here today, because it is I mean, it's like I said, although it's not a new topic, it is relatively new. And that is kind of one of our goals is to help start educating people on, hey, you know, this is a real thing and these are some of the symptoms and let's just kind of start working towards being able to best help people who are in this. Yes, and, and talking about the school systems and, and teachers and education in general and, and dealing with children with dyslexia is very important because the brain can actually be rewired. Now, this is different thinking then even when I was first in school, we realize now the brain is much, much more plastic than people realize. We, If you watch stroke victims, per se, over a period of years, they regain function that it was not thought in the past that they could ever regain. And it's a similar concept with dyslexia. These teachers that are going to deal with dyslexic children are basically engineers and mechanics of the brains of these children. So by using specific programs that are phonics-based and spelling rules and such, they can actually change the interconnections of the brain, particularly in the white matter pathways, which is the connections from the the main nerve cells called the neuron. It's little connections. The little wires that run out of the neurons are called axons. 
and all of the axons in the brain that travel down and become the wiring of the spinal cord in the nervous system. Th those axons are what we call the white matter and they're called the white matter because they're coated in little lipid layers that are fatty and they look white when you actually look at them. And so those little white matter and axonal connections can be rewired and you can make neurons interconnect that weren't connected before and can make other neurons uh, assume the function uh, that other areas of the brain should have. So it's very, very important, these educational interventions and programs uh, to um, help these children because there is, these things actually work. I mean, you're proof of that. I mean, uh, and so uh, I'd love for y'all to talk about the educational system and how we can help and, and what the state can do and things like that. Well, I think as a mother, probably early, early detection is the key because as the younger a child is, I think the more chances there are for those neural pathways to be open and for the connections to be formed. And I know that um, Bill 48 is provides phonemic instruction for children, with, for all children, actually. And, and I think that that's something that they're working hard on doing is bringing phonics and phonemic awareness back to the classroom. And I, I think right now they've implemented 10 to 15 minutes a day in like pre-K through second grade. And and that's wonderful. And that may be all that a child needs if 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 they don't have very severe dyslexia. Or, but I think just having the discussion about it and knowing that it's a thing and that it's Ron, Ron and I were very adamant that we were going to tell Rihanna that she had dyslexia and tell everybody that she had dyslexia and try to kind of relieve some of the negative stigma that's associated with it. Because if this is something that one in five people are struggling with, if there's a way that, that we can help by getting the word out, by letting Rihanna tell her story, that that's what we want to do. Yes. Very important. It's a very good point. And I, I do think it's important to make the point that everything I just talked about, the interconnections and all that, and what we're talking about, it's not just theory anymore. They do d diffusion uh, brain MRI imaging that actually proves this. I mean, this is actually proven. They do the diffusion uh, brain MRI imaging before and after the interventions and show the difference in, in uh, functional activity in those parts of the brain. In other, in other words, it actually proves that these interventions work. So this is money well spent and time well spent and effort well spent because we know it works now. And so that's pretty amazing from a science standpoint. I've, I love these kind of podcasts where I get to learn all this cool stuff. <laughs> so, and we'll talk about some of the, you know, text early signs of dyslexia, but it just kind of, you know, sum those up for anybody that's listening. What would y'all say are some, what are some of the early signs that you noticed in her? And then maybe I'll ask you, how early do you remember kind of recognizing things seem to be different for me versus my siblings, classmates, friends? The the early the earliest signs I think were when they were doing like the nonsense words in pre-K, like they have them read like cot, bot, rot, and it's just rhyming words that may not make any sense, but it's just to make sure. And she couldn't understand the concept that like all these words are going to rhyme. They're all going to rhyme, Rihanna. Look, it's just the same thing. Like just, it, she didn't know how to change that sound in the front. And we didn't really know what we were dealing with, if that makes sense. And then it, 
as far as there was just such a disconnect and that's the part that I want to stress to like probably like if if you have a child and and they're dealing with something like this there was such a disconnect in what she could tell us and what she could comprehend versus what she could put onto a paper or what she could read by herself and it was apparent that there was a problem and it wasn't just like she couldn't understand the passage or she couldn't understand this it was like she could understand anything as long as you were reading it to her. But when she had to read it herself, she could understand nothing. I mean, it, it was almost like a 180 degrees difference, if that makes sense. So it was apparent to you as a mother that there was no IQ deficit. You have this very verbal child, obviously bright, doing all these things with this one issue. And I guess this is an imperfect analogy, but it would be like me comparing myself to, say, Tiger Woods. You know, just because I can't swing a golf club like him, it doesn't mean I'm paralyzed. It means that I haven't trained my brain-body interconnection to do that by practicing millions of times like he has, you know. And so it's the same thing. She just needed the interconnection training, which brings me back to the first time she had the, the 3D letters and the putty and it clicked with her and you watched this and you said you sat there and cried. Uh, I bet it was a little more than just crying. Elaborate on that for me. All of your concerns and fears and, and watching this unfold. Up until that point, it was kind of like throwing things at the wall and wondering if anything was going to stick. And I mean, I assumed she didn't have an IQ problem. I mean, I, you know, I, but then at the same time, it's your child and you're like, well, do I think she's smarter than she really is? Am I imagining this? I mean, it, I, I thought I knew, but I'm, I'm not an educator or a specialist. So, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have unrealistic expectations for her, but the day that, she started making those letters and forming the letters and, and she was able to put sounds with the letters. It was probably the first time I had hope. And it was like, I wish that like every mother, every parent, I guess, that, that's struggling with that. I just hope they can all know that hope is out there and that it can be attained maybe because I, I didn't know what up until that day I didn't know what to expect I didn't know if I didn't know if the specialist was going to be the same path as the computer program I had no idea all I knew was we had to try and I think that that was probably one of the just most reaffirming that we're on the right track experiences I've ever had did you have sort of an aha moment where you were like I knew in my gut, I knew in my mama instinct this whole time. Did did you ever have that thought? Well, I think when when she came back to school, it was first like first grade and the first time she went to the specialist was right before Christmas break and then she went one time during Christmas break and when she came back in January, the teacher was like this is like a new kid. Like everything was just clicking. And at that point I kind of thought we may be okay. Like we may be okay. Like this really may be okay. And from there, I mean, it was just, it was almost like she was picking it up so quickly that she was like looking at us like we were dumb for thinking she didn't already know it. Does that make sense? It we're does. like, look, Rihanna shirt. She's like, yeah, mom. I mean, like, and then after that, it was like, it just, I mean, there were like definite 
struggles and whatever. But at that point, I knew we were on the right track, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, what I'm hearing, you know, that, hey, if you're a mama and you're listening and you feel like, you know, teachers, doctors, whomever may be kind of saying one thing, but I'm seeing something different. I've kind of got a, a feeling maybe something else is going on. Trust your instinct. There is hope out there. Absolutely. I mean, I think you've got, I think you've got to trust your gut and I think you've got to keep asking questions. And I think a lot of times you're going to be the biggest advocate for your child because nobody else has the personal interests that you have. Because I mean, teachers, I know they love your children, but they're also dealing with 20 children. So kind of like, you know, us in the office, I have I may see your child for 10 or 15 minutes. You know, I, I, there's no way I can possibly know your child the way that you know your child. So us as providers, we need to lean on, you know, the parents and the caretakers that are giving us information. I think Mark said he had an instructor once that said, if you'll just listen to the patient, they'll tell you what's wrong with them. You know, so listen to the um, guardians, the parents of these children and listen to what they're telling you. And it's an interesting point you make. They've actually recent pediatric studies about, you know, I work in the ER predominantly and they bring a child in for fever. Well, invariably, by the time the kid gets to the ER, they don't have fever. So they've done studies uh, to see, did the child really have fever? And a parent report of a fever at home is actually just as accurate as a measured fever in the ER. They really did have you. And, yeah. you know, back to, we had talked in the break about some of your fears and concerns when you realized Rihanna couldn't read and some specific things you were worried about. Uh, you said you were worried that she would not be able to go to the store and Absolutely. Tell us Functions. about those a little bit. Sure. I think it's like a, a primal fear. I mean, you, you want your children to be okay and Functional. independent. And and I, I just worried, what if, you know, what, what if she couldn't finish high school? What if she couldn't go to college? I mean, y- your brain just kind of spirals. But I mean, you think like, what if she has kids one day and she can't figure out what medicine to give them because she can't read it? And that that first day, honestly that she worked with the specialist the, the the first day with the with the play-doh letters and things I, I felt like my anxiety went down like 20 notches and I was like okay I think we can we're going to be okay I don't know how we're going to get there and I, I think it's made Rihanna such a resilient human being I, I think anytime she's going to do something she's just in it for the long haul she's like okay if this doesn't work we'll try this okay and I, I think probably I'm sure she wouldn't want to I'm sure she would choose a different experience if she could just pick one but I, I think it's probably made her such a a tough person if that makes sense oh absolutely because I can totally see a scenario where you know Rian is in college trying to you know I don't know become a neurosurgeon and whereas other people may be like oh I didn't do well at this I'm gonna choose an easier path and she totally has the background to be like no just because there's a, a speed bump in the way doesn't mean that you quit. You just figure out another way around it to get to where you're trying to go. So talking about that, Rihanna, you're doing things. You're trying to promote um, uh, knowledge and education about dyslexia and actually taking steps to help people. Tell us about some of that. So the first thing that I ever did was I spoke in front of a Senate subcommittee to help in the passing of Senate Bill 48, 
which is a Senate bill that provides um, dyslexia resources to all public schools in the state of Georgia. And then I've also done a lot of dyslexia projects within the high school and middle school. And then currently I'm doing a dyslexia fundraiser for the it's through FCCLA, but all the money donated is going to go to the Coffee County Board of Education into literacy programs. And I saw your mom had an announcement on Facebook, something that's coming up. The mayor, tell us oh. about that. I don't want to give it away. You tell us. Um, I had the mayor declare October 6th as National Dyslexia Day. Dyslexia Day is actually not October 6th, but because it fell on a Sunday, it's been recognized that Friday. And that's awesome. All because, so you just reached out to the mayor, basically, or how did that come about? I was thinking about doing this project, and I thought probably the best way to make the most people aware of what dyslexia was and spread awareness was to make their make the city of Douglas recognize Dyslexia Day. So I, me and my mom, we drafted a proclamation, and we got it signed by the mayor. I mean, side note, but this is the second person now that's, you know, worked with our mayor to bring awareness to our community about a topic that's important to them. So I think we have a pretty awesome mayor, it sounds like, honestly. I was sitting here thinking about that, that this is the second high school student that we've had on our podcast interviews that's done something phenomenal and is trying to help so many people. I mean, just a level of maturity and intelligence and work ethic that, well, never really existed inside of me at your age. And, and so, I mean, there's certainly having dyslexia does not at all reflect on somebody's intelligence or ability to achieve. I too had to testify before it was a House subcommittee, not a Senate subcommittee, but I was 50 years old, had been working for 20 years and had two doctor's degrees. And it took them that for them to listen to me. And it just took you being you for them to listen to you. <laughs> so I, I think that reflects highly upon you. So uh, so very impressive, very impressive kids here in our community. And I'm extremely proud to be able to talk to them and uh Wow. Well, and I want to take us back again another time once more. If we can kind of go back and talk about, um, do you remember when you kind of first recognized, you know, hey, I may be different or I may have some struggles that the folks around me don't have? It was so long ago. I can't remember like exact times, but I do remember like feelings. Like I can remember feeling not necessarily embarrassed, but like aware of there's other people that know what this means and I have no clue. There's people that know how to write their name and I don't know how to write their name. For instance, I remember one time at lunch in like pre-K or first grade rather, they were, all the teachers were really proud of this kid who was like a few grades below me. He could already read and I was thinking that would be so cool if I knew how to read, but I just kept trying, and it just wasn't working for me. It was getting very frustrating. How old do you think you were? Do you remember at all how old you were when you kind of first realized that, what you just said? Probably around the age of five or six. Five or six, yeah. So a five or six-year-old kind of being self-aware enough to recognize, you know, that, hey, something seems, you know, one one of these things is not like the other, you know. 
but you know, when you're that age, you don't want to be embarrassed and you don't <laughs> want to be different. You don't want to be like called out or mm-hmm. in, in any kind of way. So I, I just think about these kids' self-esteem that don't have it detected early and they're struggling along like, you know, in upper elementary grades and middle school. And, and that would just have to be such a devastating struggle, I would think. Absolutely. Um, one thing that some of our listeners have asked, you know, what are some of the early signs of dyslexia? And I know that you talked about the signs that you recognize, you know, and Rihanna's talked about the things that she first remembers, but, you know, just to, you know, fall back on Dr. Shaywitz again, since am I saying that yes. properly? You know, since she seems to be such an excellent resource. And I told you when we were on the break that I want to order this book myself, but, um, you know, it says, the earliest and perhaps the most important clues to a potential reading problem can be recognized by listening to your child speak. So listen for subtle signs that your child's phonologic skills are not developing as they should. Um, And being able to do that, you know, the book says that sounds a lot easier than it really is. Do you have any pointers for parents, you know, like how can you actually listen and determine if your child's phonologic skills are developing? I would say if you're a parent, give yourself some grace. That that would be my biggest probably tip because I, I remember like, when we thought something was wrong, I mean, I was playing back in my head, like, did we read 30 minutes a night? Did we do this? Should we have done some more flashcards? I mean, all the things that you probably get mom guilt about had times a million. I mean, I think like make sure your kids can rhyme. I think rhyming is a big thing. I think reading just those little short words and making the sounds, those are probably all good things. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's a real problem and you didn't do anything to to cause it. And there, there's nothing you can probably do to fix it. I mean, you're going to have to get some help. So if you notice a problem, try to find a resource and, and give yourself a lot of grace and reach out to another mother. I mean, somebody could reach out to me and I'd, I'd be glad to share my experience in more detail and the people we work right. with. Yeah. So having walked this journey yourself, um, can you point parents in the right direction? Like if they suspect there may be an issue, should they talk to the child's teacher, the child's doctor? What do you think? I know you being able to look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, what do you think could have been something that could have been the most rapid way to get intervention? I think that maybe we should have tried talking to her pediatrician. That never honestly even crossed my mind at that point. I mean, I, I and I don't know where the journey would have taken us if we had done that. I, I think that teachers are becoming more and more educated in this. And I, I think that that, it, I mean, I think probably start with the child's teacher, but I, I think that a pediatrician for a referral might be another great right. source, but just don't yeah. give up. You That's know? right. Or just, you know, maybe I try to put myself in the shoes of being a mom. I am working in a pediatric office. You know, I could see the reason for talking to your child's pediatrician could be because they could either reassure you that like, hey, oh, you know, I see this all day, every day. I understand that you're concerned, but I think it's okay. Let's just kind of keep watching. Or they may say, well, I do, I do see some of the things you're pointing out. So let's refer out for a little deeper Right. And I think 
you know, one of the things we're trying to do here at Mark Medicine is educate about the importance and the impact of the doctor-patient or healthcare provider-patient relationship. And perhaps, you know, I don't know, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but it, had you approached the pediatrician, and pediatrics is a specialty that's very geared towards developmental you know, issues and they know the milestones and what, how kids should be changing as they progress much more so than I do. And so they are a great resource. And I, and I want the practitioners that are listening to understand the importance of every patient interaction, because imagine had you approached somebody and they'd have steered you in the right direction. I mean, look at the impact that this has on her you, the entire family, the people listening, you know, every patient interaction is so, so, so important. It's, it's, it's indescribable. And diagnosis is difficult sometimes. If you read about it, uh, there's, there's mimics uh, of dyslexia, there's eye convergence problems and things like that, that have to be ruled out. So it does sometimes require a specialist and it can be difficult to tease out, um, so I, I do think it's important for all of the people listening, the patients and the healthcare providers alike to understand that. Well, honestly, I'm learning today as well because, you know, like the book said, one issue is ignorance. I mean, I feel kind of ignorant right now because I always associated dyslexia with, I just assumed it would be most recognized in a child's handwriting, you know, by them flipping letters. That was just kind of the thought process. But, you know, from everything you read, it seems that, no, it's actually, you know, earliest, the earliest signs are actually in their speech. The way that they say words, pronounce words, the way that they develop speech and language abilities. And so, and I asked you when we were on break, you know, do you remember looking at letters, is it true that the letters seem to be reversed? Will you kind of re-answer that for us again so everybody listening can be informed just like I have been today? I don't think that it's necessary, necessarily like the letters are reversed. Maybe whenever you're writing, you reverse the letters. But it is kind of like, kind of like I said before, the letters have no meaning to you. You could probably write like, random scribbles and I would tell you it's a letter back then like someone constantly telling you that this is a letter and it makes this noise it doesn't really click in your brain it like you need something you need something deeper more concrete than that you assume so did you ever did she actually write letters backwards she she did I mean I think like I think the thing is like if you think of a letter like D B P Q, you know, I mean, that whole thing, it's like she knew that maybe like a circle should be on the line. So do you put the stick on the left side, the right side, down, up? She didn't know. I mean, so it's just kind of like they're trying to, or it seemed to me like she was trying to just kind of draw what she thought it might be. Or work be. off of memory, yeah, maybe. like maybe was that here? I mean, so it wasn't like a, it was just an, abs- a letter was an abstract thought, not a concrete thing the way that we would think about it so do you think in pictures I, th- I assume I definitely think in pictures it is uh, it is difficult to diagnose sometimes and it doesn't have to be speech and language that's the first thing it, it may be more common but the first thing you notice it may be more common but it's not always and the diagnosis is really a process 
a lot of times you have to do background information and IQ testing and oral language skills. And there's just a whole list of things that that ends up with a, a collation of all this testing in the hands of somebody that's experienced in making these diagnoses. And that's um, maybe a problem to find sometimes, particularly where we are in a rural area. And so I can see how some parents would be very frustrated at trying to tease out this problem and figure out what's going on. It's an amazing thing you're doing. The awareness and education that you're trying to get out there is definitely worth it. I want you to keep it up, okay? And uh, I just love hearing these stories. And, and and we have learned a lot today because, again, another one of the listeners' question um, questions was, you know, what are some resources? What are some referral sources? You know, do we have any of those close to us? And so I kind of did some research and I found um, there's actually the International Dyslexia Association for Georgia. And you can actually look them up online and we'll we'll link them in our show notes and everything. But as I was reading what the information they have available on their website, I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty neat. But um, so... For short, they're just called IDA, and they on their website, they say, you know, that IDA Georgia provides referrals for testing or tutoring upon request. You can contact them, and they can actually provide a referral for your child to be tested or tutored. They also have a list of IDA Georgia professionals who have indicated to the national IDA that they're able to provide services for the dyslexic community. So I'll, I'll link that in the show notes as well. There's like a whole list of people. But one thing that I thought was super interesting and a potential great resource is um, they say that they accept calls from teachers who have completed an intensive Wilson or or or. Orton Gillingham training course and they're now seeking students for their practicum and they say these courses require the teachers to complete a supervised practicum in order to become certified these teachers are willing to tutor children for a reduced fee while working on their practicum so for anyone listening you know if you're a parent of a child who is dyslexic then you can reach out to them as long as you can commit to at least twice a week and you'll have a teacher who is kind of in training, but you can actually get tutoring at a reduced rate. And we do have such a lack of resources in our community that I was super excited to read about this because I would jump all over this. You know, it's like Mark said, some, sometimes people think like, oh, you know, I don't, I, I can't go, you know, local for this medical condition. I need to go way off because something about going way off is, you know, magical. And he, you know, he's like, but you know, we all trained at super large places. And I guess I'm trying to make the analogy here that it would bother me zero that these teachers are in training and doing a practicum because, you know, that just lets me know that they've undergone training and they are working to get to where they need to go. And if they can help my child along the way, then let's do it. Absolutely. That's the wonderful resource. You know, one really interesting and important thing about any kind of problem or situation that a person experiences is how it impacts their family. And so what specific things in your family did you notice about Rihanna's dyslexia and how it impacted other family members? Rihanna has a sister, Gigi, who is 12 months and 12 days younger than Rihanna. And reading came extremely easy for Gigi. And Gigi was probably the barometer that that enabled us to get treatment early for Rihanna because we saw how Gigi was not struggling and Rihanna was. Well, 
as they grew up and, and Gigi watched what Rihanna went through to learn how to read, she realized that we were extremely blessed to have been able to find a specialist and get Rihanna treatment. And it, it occurred to Gigi that like other other children and other families didn't have those resources. So she talked to me about setting up a GoFundMe for children with dyslexia to be able to to work with specialists was, was what she wanted. Well, Dominic Laricchia was in the legislature and, and was someone we went to church with. So we actually, Gigi actually herself, she was 10, went and talked to him and he invited Rihanna and Gigi to speak before the Senate subcommittee. And they sat at the table by themselves and testified before the subcommittee and, and Gigi introduced Rihanna. And it's a push that I don't think we would have ever done if, if Gigi hadn't been, had such a big heart and cared about her sister and not wanted to see anybody else go through that. So you've got one child setting up family um, interviews with the House subcommittee, and you've got another child that's um, raising money to donate to the school system so that they can teach kids that can't read to read. Uh, you know, I I think I'm kind of failing as a parent here. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, my son really likes soccer. So That's good, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, Rihanna, what impact did that have on you, that your sister, your little sister, was being such an advocate for you? I think that it made me really feel seen and heard that, like, someone could kind of see that it was something that I really did struggle with, and it made me really... I guess have like a lot of respect that someone loved me enough to like love others that much. Like I was just very happy to know that I had someone that loved me enough to want to help others. And we can all learn from that. You know, if, if, if you don't have a GG, I mean, get, you know, find you one, find you an advocate, find you a support system. Um, Now, Rihanna, earlier we talked about famous people with dyslexia, you're keeping some pretty good company. Do you know any of them mm-hmm. off the top of your head? Have you read that before? Have you learned about that? I can't really remember off the top of my head. But well, let me, let me, I bet, <laughs> I bet your mom knows some of them. Richard Branson is probably my favorite. And I think Albert Einstein had dyslexia. Um, There's Tom Tra- Cruise. Charles Schwab, maybe. Yeah, I- um it's it's an amazing list of people. It's an amazing list. I'm sitting here looking at it. Tom Cruise, Kiera Knightley, Cher, Henry Winkler, The Fines, um, Albert Einstein, the back to the uh, no IQ deficit thing. You know, the, the guy that failed third grade math and then did the theory of relativity. You know him. Um, Steven Spielberg, Leonardo da Vinci, Muhammad Ali, Jay Leno, Pablo Picasso. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So these are... These are incredibly intelligent, creative people that are that have one thing in common with you. They're predominantly using the right side of their brain. Okay, it's it actually is a gift. Um, I do have an, one more question for both of y'all, um, and I'll have to let y'all even put it in the into the proper terminology. But lots of people, you know, kind of appropriately so, you know, they're concerned. Are our school systems? you know, equipped to be able to intervene with children with 
with dyslexia. And what can you tell our listeners about that, that we're doing at least here in our state? Because there is some legislation and some things. Can you talk about that at all? Sure. I think they're doing screening now several times a year with children in our school system. And they're they're able to pull um, the children out and, and work with them in an Orton-Gillingham-based program. That that's, Orton-Gillingham is a, a method of learning phonics and a method of learning how to like decode the sounds. And it works especially well with dyslexic children, but it, it works with all children. So I'm, I'm not really sure why they don't just teach everyone to read that way, but they're, they're working some strategies with that, with all children. And then they're identifying some children that need help, need additional help. And they're working with them in the kindergarten to second grade areas. And and I think they're going to have bill 48 will be fully funded next year in coffee County. And they'll be working with the children. I'm assuming in an even, in an even larger capacity, next school year but they're already since last christmas they've been working with these younger children so they've been screening children for potential signs of dyslexia already and that's that's great news because you know the first step in anything is recognizing you know recognition you know you have to start somewhere so we're at least recognizing now we're screening and so and there is also some traction that's working towards, okay, once it's recognized, once we kind of meet the screening, we've checked the boxes or whatever in the screening that maybe we need some further evaluation. Um, do they do they have any specific things that they are working to implement in the future for these children? There's There are the tiers of the school system that I'm not extremely familiar with, but it seems like they're grouping more children into the tier two, which is just needs a little bit of support. And they're, they're pulling those kids out of, of non-instruction time, I think. And so they're able to, to work with them. And just based on our personal experience, I, I don't think it would take a massive amount of time. It, it probably takes a massive amount of resources on the front end because you've got a problem that's potentially affecting 20% of your students. I mean, right. that's One in five. It, yeah, it's overwhelming. I mean, that that's an overwhelming number of children to think that you're as a teacher would probably have to like provide help to in addition to the rest of the classroom. But if if they're able to implement these strategies and even just the 10 to 15 minutes a day they're getting now, I bet that's infinitely better than nothing for, for these children right. that are struggling. Yeah. So to put that into perspective, you know, potentially a classroom full of 20 children, potentially there are Four, four, five, yeah, sure. four yeah. children that may be dyslexic sitting in the classroom. And I didn't go to school to be a teacher. Um, I, you know, God bless them and what they're doing. I was not cut out of that mold. And so I could not do what they are doing. And I'd love to sort of get their perspective at some point, you know, but since this is something that seems to be being talked about kind of more recently, you know, I'm not sure that dyslexia and how to teach dyslexic children is something that's part of their curriculum you know I don't know the answer to that what I understand dyslexia wasn't even recognized until five years ago when that bill was passed so at all period right it was I think it would kind of probably some of those kids would get grouped under other umbrellas of, of terminologies or whatever but I don't I don't think that there was a category for children with dyslexia right 
So I think you said it best earlier when you said, you know, it's not really anybody's fault. It's just that, you know, they they didn't know. I mean, if this was just recognized five years ago here in our state, I assume that we're talking about, then, you know, that, I mean, what could you have had just a, a couple of cohorts that have graduated since that time that may possibly had some curriculum on it exactly. in their training. Right. Um, Rihanna, have you met any other kids at school with dyslexia? Um, I've met a couple of students, but there are students who never, students who I know, there are some students I know who got early intervention, but most of the students that I know who have dyslexia still struggle and they never really got the help that they needed. So, it's affecting them a lot in high school. Well, statistic- statistically speaking, you know, lots of people with dyslexia, they may not know that they have it. So I think she, you know, the the importance of early intervention, you know, it's good going, Mom. You did good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I think it is super important to do screening in the school systems to make the diagnosis as early as possible because in my reading for this, uh, the statistics were kind of all over the place. Uh, some saying between 2 and 7% of the population, other resources saying up to 20%. I think the reality is we don't know because of the lack of screening. And there's coexistent um, conditions with dyslexia, particularly ADHD and anxiety. And perhaps that's being recognized in the the dyslexia is not being addressed because maybe it's just minor form of it. So I, I think the screening is super important to ferret it out and to get these kids the help they need to help with the reading. I, I think that that's really, really important. You're basically helping break the glass ceiling. I mean, in our community, but on a much larger scale. I mean, you know, you said a few moments ago, I'm not sure if I know many other kids who are dyslexic. Well, again, not that we know of, but statistically speaking, there are many more that have at least some degree of dyslexia. And the fact that you are sharing your story and speaking out about it and helping bring awareness to this topic, you know, that's that's really going to be what helps people as much as anything. You know, that's going to help mamas start recognizing earlier the things to look for. Maybe there's, you know, a, a teenager even listening or, or a kid or whatever listening right now that's like, hey, I couldn't put it into those words because I'm dyslexic. I couldn't come up with the words, but she's describing perfectly what I've been experiencing. The letters are on the paper. They're not backwards, but they make no sense to me. So you're doing you're doing an incredible thing. Thank you. It, it's, I admire you teenagers who are so willing to speak out about these things. I don't think that I would have been this brave at your age. So, you know, um, so many years ago when you watched her and cried, um, tears of relief and I'm sure proudness also because you knew that she could do these things and now she's doing them and, and look what she's doing now. I couldn't be more proud and I, I couldn't be more proud that she's willing to use her voice and to use her struggles and to be so open and honest about them in a way that'll that'll hopefully help other other kids and other parents. Well, and you too, because you used the word stigma earlier and I don't want to beat that word to death, but there is a stigma with certain things and dyslexia is one of them because again, 
ignorance, and I don't mean ignorance in a derogatory way, um, but the fact that you are brave enough to speak out about it and tell other parents, other mamas, you know, hey, these are the signs and these are the things that worked for us and that there is hope, you know, don't be embarrassed about it. Absolutely. And, and, and knowledge is power. I mean, if you can ever just know like, okay, this is, this is what's happening. And now we have a real plan that it's just, it, it sets your mind at ease so much better than everything being nebulous and, and not being sure of what to do next. But That's right. Because as mamas, you know, everybody says, well, as a mom, I want to be able to fix everything. And we do, you know, and so if you're at a point that you're like, hey, what, you know, the computer program I bought's not working, (laughs) (laughs) you know, then keep going. Don't stop, you know, because letting the stigma be the barrier that stops you from seeking help for your child may be the thing that prevents them from being able to read the medicine bottle when they're having to give their child some Tylenol when they're an adult. You know, it's it's an impressive story, and the old saying, adversity leads to strength. I, I think that you, Rihanna, personify that. Thank you so you much. You do. And, and again, I know I'm going back to my book here, but I'm a big book person. You know, now my kids will be trying to study, and I'm like, where's the textbook? And they're like, we don't have one. I'm like, I, I, I need a book. But I randomly opened the book up, I, I, literally, and this part isn't highlighted, so we're going to have to highlight this part. But it says, change starts small. The days when accommodations didn't exist for dyslexic children are over. And, I mean, I think that's just all the hope that we could hope for. Absolutely. It's, it, I think hopefully just getting this awareness of, of dyslexia out there and what Rihanna has been able to do is hopefully it'll make other kids braver and, and less embarrassed if they do have dyslexia. It'll make other parents seek help and realize that it's not at all a reflection on their intelligence, their character. They're not lazy they're not dumb they they just need a type of help that is out there and and you can find it so it's it's not as as scary at all when you think about it that way so so what is the name of your awareness program tell tell us that decoding dyslexia with rena I love that, by the way. I really do. I love that decoding dyslexia with rena so tell the listeners how they can find you We'll be on Facebook and Instagram and just look that up excellent and we'll link that also in our show notes so that everybody can find you and tell the listeners a little bit about the fundraiser that's going on so right now i'm in the process of doing a t-shirt fundraiser um we're selling these t-shirts the whole month of september and i sold them at lunch but they're dyslexia awareness t-shirts and all the money collected and fundraised is going to be given to the coffee county board of education back to the community, um, into literacy programs specifically for dyslexia. Can you tell them what the back of the t-shirt says? The back of the t-shirt say, one in five depend on me until everyone can read. Oh, I love that. So let me ask you, I know that October 6th is Dyslexia Day here in Douglas, which is today. We're going to air this on October the 6th. So when is the last day, like, can can listeners still purchase T-shirts? Yes, and we're going to, like, sell the shirts after just 
in hopes to raise awareness for dyslexia. That's right. So there's not really a, a cutoff. If someone wants to purchase a t-shirt at any point, they can maybe reach out to you on Facebook, Instagram, um, something like that. Do y'all have an email address that y'all like us to link or anything? Sure. You can use my email address. It's juliebrook at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay. So if people would like to purchase a t-shirt, although today is Dyslexia Day here in Douglas, and rest assured that your money will be going to a great cause, you know, it'll be going to the literacy program, like you said, here in our community. And what an awesome thing that you're doing by raising money and also bringing awareness to this topic. Thank y'all so much for being here today. It was a great topic, great people, uh, just tons of information and tons of learning. I truly enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. We Thank enjoyed it too. Thank y'all. Well, Mark, those were awesome guests to have. I think they're doing a phenomenal job raising awareness for dyslexia. Oh, without doubt. So it's now time for my favorite segment of the show. It's our phone a friend segment where I ask Mark questions that you, the listeners, have. And so a couple of questions on dyslexia, Mark. First, the first question will kind of be a recap. What are some early signs and symptoms of dyslexia? Well, it's it can often be language delay. There can be pronunciation issues of words that persist beyond the usual baby talk period of life that should all disappear by five or six. If it's not disappearing, you may have an issue. Uh, these children are sometimes unable to produce rhyming words. They can't. They also can't focus on one phonetic component of a word, meaning just like one little sound of a word. And they'll sometimes have writing difficulties. So there's a lot of different things that can point you in the direction of maybe my child has a dyslexic issue. Again, it can be difficult to diagnose and may require you know, detailed testing, but, you know, you've got to be clued in first, and these are the clues. So once a child is diagnosed with dyslexia, what are some tools that can be used to hopefully help them learn to read? Well, we just heard in Rihanna's story about the the three-dimensional and the tactile learning experience she had with recognizing letters, and then the tools that the teachers use, like phonics, and they also do um, uh, common word memorization, things to force the connections, the new connections to be formed in these axonal pathways to help the, the brain get the visual input to the language center. So that's the basic concept is things that, that help the brain, you know, form these connections that are, that are not there. So one listener's question of can dyslexia be treated Absolutely. We went through that in, in detail with, with these programs that are being implemented in the school systems with basically phonics-based systems to get around that failure of communication between the vision and the visual input and the language centers of the brain. So yes, it can be treated in quite effectively. Uh, refer back to my comment about these teachers that are doing this being engineers and mechanics of these children's brains, helping the brains change. Right. And, you know, since this is a newer topic and every school system may not have, you know, specific implementations that are geared towards children with dyslexia. Again, I was very excited to learn that there's the International Dyslexia Association of Georgia. There's a website and they actually have a list of individuals who 
you know, will provide tutoring or who will provide assessments. And I'll link those in our show notes. Um, Another question from a listener, does dyslexia only affect reading? No, it does not. It it can be like most diseases. It's a it's a spectrum of of disease presentation. It can be very limited and just affect the reading, but it can also affect writing. It can affect memory. It can affect organizational skills, timekeeping, concentration, communication skills in general, and there are also coexistent conditions such as anxiety and ADHD. We've already kind of brushed on this, but I think this is a great question, so I want to ask it. You know, number one, what tools are used to diagnose dyslexia? Recap that for us. Well, it's often, it it depends. It oftentimes requires a complex amount of testing if if it's a difficult-to-diagnose situation that involves IQ testing and reading and language. And there's just a whole list of things that is then all collated by a specialist in this that puts out a report. And often these reports are generated to provide to certain treating clinicians with experience in this. And then they come up with the diagnosis. Sometimes it's much simpler and straightforward. Um, And it just requires a single interaction like occurred with Rihanna. So it's it's variable also. Another very excellent question. Is there any gray area or does it mimic other learning disabilities very closely? And the reason that this particular question was asked is because this listener said that, you know, she feels like her child may have some of the signs and symptoms based off of her personal reading. However, she's been told that her child doesn't have dyslexia. So I think what she's trying to ask is, is there any gray area or are there almost like different degrees of dyslexia, if I may word it that way? There are different degrees in presentations and it can be extremely difficult to diagnose sometimes. Sometimes it's straightforward and simple. That's why oftentimes it will require the detailed testing and and analysis by somebody specialized in this. There are some mimics. People can have acquired dyslexia from brain injuries, strokes, hemorrhages, things like that. People can have a disconjugate gaze because of muscular imbalance between the eyes where you're not getting convergent images and true binocular vision. So the input is is flawed rather than the analysis of the input uh, in the language centers of the brain. So yes, it can be very difficult. It can be very complicated. It can be a lot of overlap syndromes with ADHD and anxiety. And it can be very difficult to tease all of this out to a specific diagnosis. That's why I think your link to the resources of potential specialty care is so, so important because oftentimes it is it is very hard to make a correct diagnosis and making a diagnosis in medicine is everything because once you know the problem, then you can set about working on the problem. But until you know the problem, you really can't do the proper kind of care that needs to be provided. Well, our next question is going to actually magnify one thing that you just touched on. So I'm super excited that this person asked this. Um, One of our listeners said, I developed dyslexia after my major ear surgery and mainly with numbers. My surgeon told me after surgery it had happened to others. I still think it's weird. I wish that there was more help for kids with dyslexia because it can be very challenging. So have you ever heard of someone developing dyslexia before following surgery? I know you just said it may happen after a brain injury. 
Well, specifically, I don't know what happened to that person or why, but yes, there is what we call congenital or developmental dyslexia, which is what we're usually talking about. And then there's acquired dyslexia that happens after a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, or a stroke, or a, um, or a hemorrhagic stroke. I would also surmise that one could have a hypoxic event during anything, some critical illness, a surgery. It could probably be toxin-induced, perhaps, that could damage a part of the brain that controls language. So specifically what happened during surgery, I don't know, but there are definitely secondary causes of dyslexia. One listener asks, when I'm reading back numbers out loud, I say them backwards more often than I care to admit. Is that a type of dyslexia? I always joke that I have numbers dyslexia. It could be. I did read, in studying for this, I did read about uh, some numerical forms of dyslexia. I don't remember all the details, but I think, again, I think that's one of those things that's so specific it may require further testing to exclude other things or to hone in on that as a limited form. Uh, so kind of waffling on that answer a little bit, but probably the best I could do on the fly. Okay. And our last question. One listener said, can you help explain the neurobiology behind dyslexia and how this creates a processing delay in children? Well, the neurobiology is that there's this failure of connection between the visual input, reading the words, looking at the words and the letters, and getting that information from the eyes and the vision centers to the language centers. So there's something neurobiologically that's developmental that's missing or different about those connections. And so you have to therapeutically do exercises that force the new interconnections and and new connections to get the information to those centers. So that's what's going on. If you look at MRI studies that show diffusion, uh, which is a functional MRI study, of dyslexic brains compared to normal brains. There's an excess of activity in the frontal lobes and on the right side of the brain relative to the language centers when presented with this information uh, to as compared to a non-dyslexic. So again, uh, like we were talking about in the podcast, you know, they're, they're actually getting very close to understanding this. They've, they're proving it. They're proving the difference in the brains. And now there's all of the, the gene analysis, the nine different genes that have been identified, although not exactly what combination of genes or specific genes is causing it, but they're, they're, they're batting all around the issue and they're getting very, very close. And so it's really an exciting area of research and, and just amazing for somebody of my age and with my educational background and what I've watched over the last 30 years or so, uh, the change in the knowledge base, it's absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. So to kind of just sum it up, if you are a parent, if you're a mama, if you're a guardian who thinks, hey, my child may have some of these symptoms, first, certainly turn to your child's teacher. Also turn to your child's pediatrician. And if you're a healthcare provider, and you have a child in front of you with their parent, and the parent says, hey, I think my child may have some of these symptoms of dyslexia, 
Um, again, some of the things that you can do, you can, we will link in our show notes, some of the resources that we have here in our state anyway. And, but the good thing about it, the International Dyslexia Association is not just in Georgia. There is a national association as well. So there should be state specific links for each healthcare provider. You can at least find people who are registered with the IDA anyway. And, you know, the main thing that I'm excited about is that dyslexia is recognized now and more people are starting to become aware of it. They're starting to be interested in dyslexia and it seems like we're making forward progress. We're all making forward progress. Without doubt, it's a, it's a fascinating topic to read about. There's ongoing research. They're actually starting to delineate the, the problems behind it and fixes for it. And they're proving things that we didn't know just a short time ago. And so it's, it's actually really neat to read about. And it's really awesome to see young people doing what Rihanna's doing and getting out and spreading the, the knowledge. It's, it's great. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself. So for all of our listeners, again, thank you so much for joining us. You can find us here again next week on Friday. You know, same day of the week, each week, same time. Our episodes will drop at 10 a.m. Eastern time. You can find us at markedmedicine.com. You can also find us on social media, um, or you can find Mark on social media, Dr. Mark Brulty on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Send us an email, Mark at markedmedicine.com with your questions. You can also send Mark a question on Facebook Messenger. You can follow our posts. Sometimes we'll post, you know, questions from time to time and ask, you know, hey, drop in the comments any questions you have about dyslexia, for example, and you may hear us answer the questions in our next, you know, whenever we have the relevant episode that pertains to that question. So um, you can also go to our website. You can find the Ask Dr. Mark tab. You can submit questions there. And remember, if you have a story to tell, if you have something that you're super passionate about, something that you would like to educate us on, healthcare providers on, then reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. And we're all in this together. And thank you so much for joining us.